Whoa, whoa, whoa! Yeah, but... No. The Blue Collar Plebcast is brought to you by Punchplate. Punchplate at coddle.co sells a series of high-quality, American-made 304 stainless steel backup seed phrase plates. Punchplates are compact, affordable, proven to be durable through independent testing, and easy to use. They look great, too. It has never been easier to own your own money. Punchplate makes it affordable to more securely break up your seed phrase into multiple pieces. Why pay a third party for multisig when you can cheaply create your own fragmented and redundant system? Don't accept holding an IOU. Protect yourself and your family. Use Punchplate. Check out coddle.co. Note that coddle is a C word. Elsie and Frito in the house say hey. Hey. What's up, Elsie? What up? I went to the sub shop with my friend yesterday, and it reminded me there's two kinds of people. There's people that prefer turkey subs and everybody else. So what side do you fall on? Everybody else. Yeah, turkey subs are boring. Turkey, cheese, mayonnaise, and lettuce, please. We talked about a child trafficking movie last week, and you mentioned that your wife has a fetish for painful movies, right? I don't know if I'd call it a fetish, but yeah. Sounds like a fetish, kind of. Do you set up and your like child trafficking do. movie night? No, no, no. No, unfortunately. Does your wife have a movie safe word? <laughs> Dude, she reads the worst literature, I swear to God. One of my wife's greatest talents is her ability to read. She reads probably faster than anyone else I know in real life. She reads like roughly a 300 to 350 page book every single day. It's a lot of reading. Yeah, but she reads the worst possible shit you have ever heard. She's like, oh, you should read this book. Oh, you should hear about this book I read. It's great. It's about this, you know, this girl, she was out with her sister and they got kidnapped and locked in a basement and they got raped and they, they were a prisoner. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why are you going to read that shit? There's enough negative shit in the world. I don't need to read shit that's negative. But that's what she likes. So I don't it's know. better than mastering Ethereum. <laughs> that's true. I told her, I'm like, if you could like train your brain to read like law books, you'd be a lawyer in a year. Because you just smash through books it's ridiculous i personally am the exact opposite of her i can't read i probably haven't read anything fiction in eight years i don't like make-believe stuff i like educational books i like religious books you had a slinky once but you straightened it <laughs> speaking of movies do you know what movie that's from no that's ghostbusters the original? Yeah. It's the really? only Ghostbusters, dude. Every other Ghostbusters never happened. That had to be a Bill Murray line. It was. He was making fun of Egon. Huh. My kids made me watch that movie, I don't know, 237,000 times, so I can't believe I didn't know that line. Yeah, don't think for a second we're not going to be talking about that one at some point. It's a good point. I promised you that I would watch the Snatch movie. And try to give you a, a review, I guess, right? So I should jump into Underground Theater Thoughts. Underground Theater Thoughts. 
theater thoughts. I never thought I'd give an official review of Snatch, but here we are. Here we are. Here's your public review of Snatch. Man, I, I tried. I appreciated it, but I didn't fully love it. And I guess I'll just bounce some thoughts off of you and see what you think. I'm big on character development, as you know. And I thought we got some fun characters, like a lot of them. But they were so superficial, we didn't really get to know them very well. It was very fast-paced, so you don't get a lot of, like, in-depth character development. Uh-huh. I think. Maybe I didn't process things fast enough. But we didn't end up getting a sympathetic character till more than an hour into the movie. Correct. I'm watching it, and I'm like, I hate all these people. I hope they all die horribly. <laughs> right? And then they made you like one just like a little bit. And I'm like, oh, okay, then. And the movie was kind of charming and then it, it thrived on the idea that everybody was a jerk. Yeah, it has that dark comedy feel to it, right? Like everybody's yeah. an asshole. Yeah. So I did appreciate that part. And it had Jason Statham basically playing himself, but it was a young version, which was interesting. Yeah, I think that was like definitely before he became a big action star. There were shots of him where like they cut off the top of his head because he's losing his hair. <laughs> it's like shots of his face, like the lower half of his face. That's the uh, the classic Tom Cruise and the classic Mark Wahlberg shots that are always like slightly from a downward angle to make them look right. tall. Right. And we got uh, Brad Pitt and Benicio Del Toro, among other great actors. So it was an interesting ensemble. Yeah, it was a good cast. It was. The opening sequence was about five minutes of banter that I suppose was witty and that it was trying not to be witty. Do you know what I'm talking about? Refresh me. When they went up to steal the diamond. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the Jewish priest. And there's just like this weird banter and they were going back and forth. But it was just interesting in that it was like purposely like not witty, I think. Maybe I've missed something there. Hmm. And then some of the characters, like they developed this character and made him kind of interesting. And they just kind of like offed him in like superficial ways, which I guess was good and bad. It was kind of funny sometimes. And the movie seemed like it was purposely shot with this yellowish-tinged background. It's kind of dark. Gritty. They did that to make it seem more edgy. I think they purposely shot it that way to make it seem more gritty than it was. They almost shot it in a way that made it appear to be a B-movie with an A-list cast. Yeah, maybe they were just trying to make it kind of humorously dark, even though actually it wasn't terribly dark. But it reminded me a little bit of Twilight. I was expecting oh, zombies Christ. or vampires. And just in the, the lighting. <laughs> you missed your calling as a movie critic. <laughs> There's still time, man. When Bitcoin moons, you're going to be a movie critic. For Dude, pleasure. Uh, there's a lot of things that seem more interesting if, if we win. But it reminded me a little bit of the Kingsman movies. I can see, see that. Those? And I don't really know what campy means, but when I was trying to think of an adjective to describe the movie, I thought campy seemed to fit. Campy? Yeah. Did you break out your fucking thesaurus? I don't know what it... No, obviously, I don't know what it means, but I thought the movie seemed campy. <laughs> I don't know what this word means, but it just feels right. That's right. <laughs> when people speak with English accents, it makes everything seem more sophisticated. I love British movies, specifically because they make me feel smart. Yeah. The angle where the gypsies have superhuman strength was interesting. I have to say, Brad Pitt did a phenomenal job playing a gypsy. 
Yeah, he did. From his body language to the way he spoke to the way he acted, pretending he's all on board and they're just like, eh, fuck you. You know what I mean? Like, such a classic gypsy. Yeah, it ended up, there was more to his character than uh, on the surface. It looked like he was having fun acting, so that was pretty cool. Yeah, it's one of my favorite roles that he plays. He did a really good job playing it. But you've got all these villains, and none of them seem to be, like, evil geniuses or hatching brilliant plans. Like, it wasn't quite a Bond-like in that way. It was just, like, a bunch of bad people doing dumb things constantly. Yeah, it was kind of like a dark comedy British version of some people that owe Tony Soprano money. You know, like yeah. Rick Top was like this very classic, not a lot of detail put into like his mob character. I really enjoyed the scene where the black guys tried to do a hold up with fake guns. Yeah, <laughs> that was pretty good. But the ending was kind of dull, like there was no huge reveal. There's just kind of people going about getting revenge in relatively normal ways, I thought. What was I missing there? I don't think you were missing anything. That's kind of Guy Ritchie's style. He was that way in Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Uh, I think he did Smoking Aces, too. It was kind of the same way. I mean, spoiler alert, but it kind of ended up like, well, of course these people were going to get pissed off, and they don't tolerate being pissed off. Yeah. But in the end, the protagonists for lack of a better word, they didn't learn any lessons and they just went back to dealing with bad people again. I think that's part of what makes that movie great. Because I think that storyline lines up a lot more with real life than the happy ending. Like, oh, they learned their lesson and then they didn't do it. Like that almost never happens in real life, right? People get stuck in a pattern and that's how they live their life right most people live in the same reoccurring patterns their entire life i thought it was much more of like an ode to actual life especially for people that live in that underground culture when people live in that underground culture right i i grew up knowing people who lived similar lives and the attitude is always that it's going to be different this time Right, like I can see now that the situation has passed, that this is what I did wrong. So I'm just going to do it different next time. And it never fucking turns out different, right? They always make the same mistakes. They live in the same pattern and they always fuck their life up the same way. Yeah, I guess it would have gone against the grain of the movie for them to learn better, right? Yeah, for sure. I was puzzled by something. Why do you think they called it Snatch? They didn't have like a marketing guy that came up with a better title for the movie. Well, it's a Guy Ritchie film, so when you're working with Guy Ritchie, it's a lot like working with Quentin Tarantino. There is no outside input. This is what Guy Ritchie wrote. This is what he's going to make. And if you don't like it, get the fuck out. Right, but Quentin Tarantino's making Pulp Fiction and Inglorious Bastards, right? They just named this Snatch. I want to say that's got something to do with the Jewel Heist. Well... I guess, unless there was a, it had to be a play of, there was a jewel heist, that, so they snatched the jewel, and maybe there was something else going on that somehow fit that, but it, it just seemed dumb. It's, you're just called a crazy gypsy movie. Ah, uh, it says, uh, it's not a hidden meaning, it's very simple, of course, it's a play on words meaning to take, but it's foreshadowing the dog snatching the diamond. Oh. That's pretty deep. <laughs> yeah, see? <laughs> Here you are thinking that it was shallow. 
and you're like oh yeah it's just the jewel heist but it's foreshadowing the dog oh it's like it's almost like shakespeare in that way uh uh but i think that the title hurt the movie a little like 20 years ago i mean this is like how dumb i am i bought the dvd and then i never watched it and then i bought the streaming rights and then i never watched it and just that one word title makes it hard to get interested in it unless you hear about it through word of mouth. So like, if you didn't tell me about it, I wouldn't have watched it and I'm glad I did, but it just doesn't seem interesting with that title. They don't have like a, a hook, right? It's like a Grateful Dead song. Again, I think when it comes to a movie that relies strongly on the director of the movie, the director is the hook. Mm. The name of the movie is irrelevant. The director is the hook. Like, you saw that movie because it was a Guy Ritchie film. The same way you watch terrible Quentin Tarantino movies simply because they're a terrible Quentin Tarantino. Well, I enjoyed the movie. I did like a lot of the actors in it. And I thought it was interesting, so I'm glad I watched it. But I'd give this movie 7 out of 10 sats. That's not bad. I also like that you saw a lot of famous people that played in it almost exclusively the famous people that played in it didn't play roles that they're famous for if that makes sense well jason statham seemed to play kind of himself and... yeah but he didn't really play himself because everywhere that jason statham really made a name for himself in movies was like this badass karate dude mm. and he was kind of a bitch and snatch <laughs> yeah that's fair you yeah, know what I mean? Like, he was kind of yeah. the, the negative, if you will, of his normal character. Yeah. And Brad Pitt's character was very unique and worth watching for sure. But you saw the seeds of Fight Club in there a little bit, too. Oh, yeah. I but think his kind of bad him way. playing in that movie is what got him the role in uh, Fight Club. Yeah, it was pretty wild. I enjoyed it. It was just gritty and different. It was a really well-shot movie. As much as, like, even halfway through it, you're like, I still can't decide if this movie sucks or if it's good. Mm -hmm. But you, for some reason, you're still watching. I have a minor weapons complaint that you may have noticed, but when the KGB guy gets shot in the hallway, one of the other bad guys walks in with his empty clip gun, looks at him, didn't know if he was down or not, and he was armed. Just walks in and then decides to drop his magazine and reload after he walked in. And that was like horrible tactically. Dramatic. Nobody would do that. I imagine oh, well, that bothered you because that. that, that's like your thing. Of course. But the movie's full of a lot of things people wouldn't do. Fair. And I don't know if you can argue that somebody wouldn't do that because when you get into that area of culture... People tend to not think in a tactical way and arrogance and ego overtake the tactical common knowledge, right? Like you would drop the mag and reload before you rounded the corner. But if you have this big ego, it's the, I already know he's down, hmm. walk out. I'll drop my mag in front of him type mm -hmm. deal. But that was a KGB agent who was armed and he didn't know if he was down or not. I don't think you're going to rise up the ranks of, the gangs, if you behave like that at all, <laughs> you're not going to make it that long. But in that world, reputation's everything. The crazier people perceive you as, the better off you are. The old idea of if you act crazy, 
nobody will fuck with you, so you never have to worry about proving yourself. Cool. That was a good movie take. Seven out of ten sats isn't bad. I'll take it from you. You're you're a pretty stiff movie critic, so. That hurts, man. Speaking that... of movies, I want to talk about a movie I haven't seen. I don't even know if it's out yet. But no, no, you... no, 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 no. What? Uh-uh. Why? Now I need to know what your movie is because I need to watch a movie next week. I, I have to watch a movie before the next episode. Oh, no, I didn't prepare one. I wanted to talk about the movie I haven't seen. Well, I'm putting you on the spot. Welcome not, to the Blue Collar Podcast. I'm not prepared. You don't need to be prepared. Off the top I of your did. head, what's one of your favorite movies? Motherfucker. <laughs> All right. We'll talk about Idiocracy. Ooh, which, it's been a long time. I haven't watched I've definitely never watched it sober, so. Idiocracy is one of my all-time great movies. It's certainly in my top five. It was made by, I think, Mike Judge, the guy who did Office Space. Beavis and Butthead, et cetera. Yep. And it was a very low budget movie that had no expectations. And the premise of it, I guess we're doing spoiler alert anyway, but there was a guy who was in the army in present time, and he was the most average person in the army in terms of uh, intelligence, strength, attractiveness. And because he was so average and kind of useless, they selected him for this experiment because they were trying to see if they could freeze a soldier and wake him up a year later. So this guy gets frozen and then calamity ensues and the experiment gets forgotten about. And he just ends up waking up 500 years later. But by the time he wakes up, society's devolved so much that he becomes the smartest person in the world by far. And almost like your Brad Pitt gypsy character, everybody else can barely speak English. And it seemed like it was going to be just a farce. It seemed like it was such a ridiculous premise. But I think that movie came out close to 20 years ago, maybe a little less. And since it came out, every year that goes by, it's quickly becoming more and more of a documentary. Like present day fiat world is rapidly plummeting towards that vision of idiocracy to the point where everybody must see it because there's so many parallels to just today. And it hasn't been that long. When they were trying to come up with how people would behave or dress, one of the decisions they made at the time was there was a new company that made these Croc shoes and they thought they were just uh, degenerate. They thought it was horrible that people would actually wear these things. And they made everybody in the future wear Crocs. <laughs> and here we are today and everybody's wearing Crocs. And I don't think that the creators would have foreseen that at all. Well, you know what they say, Crocs and sweatpants is the sure sign that you've given up on life. Yeah. Actually, I should say that was what they said 10 years ago. Nowadays, well, every asshole wears Crocs. Look what I'm fucking wearing right now. I'm a physician. <laughs> you're just doing that because you want to claim that you're winning in the, uh, the weight loss competition. <laughs> For the viewers at home, I'm wearing a shirt that makes it look like I have muscles. <laughs> just like we're talking about people doing moronic things on tiktok all the people in the future are entertained by just degeneracy just they're entertained by people getting kicked in the balls the legal systems devolved to the point where there's no justice at all and it's almost just a mockery of people's rights and the medical systems devolved to the point where the doctor is a complete moron and not that that's happening now, but 
they don't care about patients and it's just ridiculous. And the scientists are focused on things that have nothing to do with improving humanity. They're focused on making money with bullshit, like making people have erections longer. And this all happened because smart people on average decided to delay their lives and have children later and dumb people multiplied because they were incentivized to do so. And that's definitely not happening nowadays. (laughs) I mean, just they nailed every fucking thing. This movie was 85 minutes long. That's the only movie I can think of that was less than 90 minutes long. That was awesome. Usually that's a sign that this is like a terrible B movie that you should not watch. Usually it's a sign that it's a Steven Seagal movie. But this was brilliant. And at the time... Did you just insult Steven Seagal? Yeah, we can go into that later, but this this is my idiocracy take. But Steven Seagal's fucking horrible. By the way, there's... You're Asian. He's better at being Asian than you. Editor's note, Steven Seagal is better at being Asian than you was a sick burn that went over my head. There's a guy that I'll talk about at some point who makes fun of Steven Seagal constantly, and that's a really good channel. But I mean, you know, this is the kind of stuff I'm watching, so I guess I'm proving my own point here. (laughs) So that movie was critically ignored, and at the box office, it made less than $500,000. I think it was $444,000. So the movie was a bomb. But here we are almost 20 years later, and it's one of my top five movies of all time, and I think everybody needs to go out and watch it. Oh, oh, another thing you'll like about this is a lot of the jokes they have, you cannot say now, and I don't want to say it on the podcast, but they have like at least three jokes in there that are completely politically incorrect that you can't say now, to the point where I rushed out and I bought a DVD copy because I'm afraid they're going to edit it like George Lucas does to Star Wars. But I don't (laughs) want to lose those jokes forever. Probably. But I, I highly encourage people to watch that movie. If you haven't seen it, I'd encourage you to do so. And I'd be doing you a favor by making that your movie because it's a lot shorter than the movie you made me watch. I've seen it, but I was on a lot of drugs when I watched it. So I think that means you almost have to watch it again. I might. I watch absolutely it have to watch it again. I watch it about once a year. I mean, it's just there's not one dull moment in that whole movie. It's just one liner after one liner. It's incredible. Obviously, we're talking about your movie this week, but if you want to talk about movies that have the best one-liners of any movie going, probably any movie I've ever seen, it's probably a a strong race between The Big Lebowski and Superbad. They're up there. Superbad is one of the most underrated movies of all time, and hands down Jonah Hill's best performance fucking ever. Ever. It's incredible. I have the unrated copy, but I think it's like one line different than the rated copy, so it doesn't really matter. Amazing. The reason I think that, though, is probably because when I was in my senior year of high school, I didn't really go to school. Mm. And I used to go to my buddy's house who lived like two blocks from school, and I'd hang out there all day and then go home at the end of the day. He only had one DVD, and the one DVD he had was super bad, so I've probably seen that movie on loop 300 fucking times. And it's one of the rare movies that I've seen that every time you watch it, you catch something you didn't hear the first time, Mm. and it's still funny. Well, we should present that one sometime. Yeah, that's going to have to be one of mine. I'm going to have to rewatch it again. All right, I'll watch Idiocracy this week again, since I haven't seen it in a while, and uh, I'll come back and let you know how terrible your movie pick was. All right. 
Now humor me for a second because this is going to segue into the next segment, but there is a movie I haven't seen yet called Asteroid City. Have you seen I, the promos I for this? I you for 90 minutes at a time every week. I appreciate it. <laughs> this movie on the surface looks really interesting. It was produced by Wes Anderson and it includes Jason Schwartzman, Scarlett Johansson, Tom Hanks, Brian Cranston, Ed Norton, Adrian Brody, all-star cast, Steve Carell, Willem Dafoe, Margaret Roby. And it's meta-textual plot, according to Wikipedia, which never lies. It depicts the events of a stargazer convention in a version of 1955. And it's supposed to talk about extraterrestrials and UFOs witnessed in a southwestern desert in close proximity to atomic test sites. So on the surface, like this is a movie I really want to see. Unfortunately, we're in a dystopian clusterfuck of 2023. And I noticed Tom Hanks is in the movie. And then I remember that Tom Hanks was one of the people villainizing and canceling people who wanted to have bodily autonomy and didn't want their kids to have a muzzle on their faces in school. And I thought in my head, fuck Tom Hanks. Didn't he also leave the country because he was very well known for being on the Epstein list? I'm not sure, but I'm, I'm pretty sure he's one of the more famous people that uh, was a, a frequent flyer of the Epstein I suppose that's another reason to cancel him. I honestly don't know what being on that list really means. I, I know what it implies. I don't know. But I know he talked a lot of shit that did a lot of harm. And I'm mad at him for that. So I can live without this movie. So I'm out. It's too bad because it looks cool otherwise. I'm out because it sounds like a snooze fest. You'd rather watch a dimly lit bunch of English people. My problem is when you get that many famous people on a bill, no nobody's character gets a chance to shine because you're just pinging back between recognizable faces. Isn't it kind of interesting to see who steals the scene, though? Yeah. Who's going to be Chris Tucker in The Fifth Element? There's no, like, movie stars left, I don't feel. And I actually heard a good take about it the other day that like there's no real movie stars left because back in the day when you had like movie stars, people were faithful to their favorite movie star. Like a movie could come out, you didn't give a shit about the plot, you went to see it because your favorite movie star was in it. That was because their influence on your life started and ended on the screen. Like you didn't know shit about their personal life. And we've mm -hmm. devolved in our culture to a point where their personal life is more in the news than whatever part they played. So you can't help but not watch that movie because fuck Tom Hanks, right? Right. Like but, you, but that's you not have... because of my interest in Tom Hanks. That's because he's putting himself out there because he thinks that he's a god. Exactly. But when you had movie stars who had that star appeal, it was because you didn't know shit about their personal life or their political views or mm -hmm. their views on anything in the public square. I mean, they're all insane, but they'd be better off financially if they just kept it that way. Yeah, and I think it would make movies more enjoyable because I don't have to sit down and automatically go, ah, fuck that guy. Before the movie even starts, he might play a good part, but I already have the attitude of fuck him. So he's got to do twice as much as he had to before I knew anything about him for me to be like, oh, it was a really good performance. Because I'm already critical of him when I sit down. All these people are followed around by people that tell them that they can do no wrong all the time, and they just think that that's true. Fair enough. There was that movie about the child trafficking thing, and we said that the media was saying that it was associated with QAnon. So, <laughs> therefore, maybe there's actually something to the movie. Because whenever yeah. the media results to conspiracy theories about people who promote conspiracy theories, 
It feels like they're really reaching. Therefore, you should watch it. <laughs> That's what that means, I think. Even though I told you I'm not going to watch it because it sounds painful. It's but... made a dumb amount of money since the last time we talked about it, too. Like $180 million or something. Really? Yeah. So is it possible there's reverse psychology going on in movie promotion and they're purposely trying to promote the movie by saying, don't watch the movie? I would say no. Probably not, but anything's in play. Yeah, I guess. But the common... earth is flat. <laughs> there's a common theme where whenever somebody has a conservative view, they're uh, denounced as being QAnon, right? By socialists. Yeah, or far right extremists. Right. I think that's kind of intellectually weak. For one, most people have no idea what QAnon means or is. True. So we should probably talk about the QAnon thing because it comes up a lot. And I wanted to learn about it a little bit because every time somebody brought it up, I'm like, I don't even know what that means or I don't know whose side QAnon's even on. I have no idea. It's um, like the theory that like a ring of elite pedophiles run the world, right? Yeah. According to Wikipedia, which again, never lies. QAnon is an American political conspiracy theory and political movement. So that's an oxymoron. Like it can't be a conspiracy theory and a political movement. Well, if you're going to get into that, I mean, you have to get into the origin of the phrase conspiracy theory. Well, conspiracy theory, I think, is meant to say people are having ridiculous notions about something that's not true. Absolutely not. Conspiracy theory is a term that was coined by the CIA that was made so that when somebody said something about a government program that was actually happening, they mm -hmm. could call it a conspiracy theory and it was automatically denounced. I believe that. But the meaning, the implication is that it's not true. I'm not saying it's not true. Correct. Correct. But as far as QAnon goes, like, what's it supposed to be? What is it really? Why should we care? We shouldn't. QAnon is a conspiracy theory about a person or a group of people called Q. It's about a cabal of satanic, cannibalistic child molesters that are operating a global child sex trafficking ring, which conspired against former U.S. President Donald Trump during his term in office. And apparently it's far right. So the only people you ever hear talk about QAnon mm -hmm. are the liberals. That should tell you everything you need to know. Right. They're labeling it far right, just like they're labeling fascism far right. Well, they label it far right, but they're also the only people that admit it exists. And they're saying that there's this far right organization that conspired against a Republican president. Yeah, it's it's a fuck show. It's like the white face, black face thing. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's the same idea as like. If we make it sound ridiculous or if we can punch one hole in the theory, then it negates the rest of the theory. The same thing they did to Alex Jones. He got sued over Sandy Hook and everybody was like, oh, he lied about Sandy Hook. But then they just neglect the fact nine out of ten things he's ever said he was right about. Sure. But is QAnon really a conservative group or is it something that liberals made up to try to make conservatives look bad? There you go. You answered your own question. But the premise is so evil, like a cult that rapes and eats people. <laughs> yeah. And the media uses it because they use it to cancel people that supposedly have ties to this, and it works. Yeah. Nobody wants to identify with that sort of evil. Yeah, exactly. But I think but it gets utilized when people can't come up with specific takes. Like, that's what they resort to. It's their way to give this cartoonish feel to what people know is real, like shit like Bohemian Grove and 
all of that, that we know for a fact is real. We have video evidence of it, people talking about it. And then you turn around and you throw a spin on it like QAnon and it's like, oh, well, now it's just so over the top ridiculous that it makes you forget about the facts that it was built on. Sometimes people will send me a video of usually it's right wing people protesting about something. And then this group of people all uniformly dressed in black come up. And then I ask, well, who is that? And they're like, well, maybe it's QAnon. And I can't tell if those people dressed in black are a legitimate group of some kind or a psyop of some kind. A lot of the quote unquote right wing shit is plants. They're all, they're feds. Fed boy summer is what that shit comes down to. Like Patriot Front and all that shit. All the guys that dress up like neo-Nazis and like mm -hmm. go protest. Like, come on. Patriot they Front all wear like fucking government issue shit with masks on. They actually had, I, th I think you wanted to talk about uh, another group, but I don't know if you saw that video that came out maybe like two weeks ago or whatever, where the Proud Boys beat the fuck out of those Patriot Front dudes. Okay. Are the, the Proud Patriot. Boys a real organization? Yeah. I mean, the name Proud Boys sounds kind of gay. Not that there's anything wrong it's, with that. That's because it started as a joke. Oh. The Proud Boys were made as a joke by Gavin McGinnis, who started Vice Media way back in the day. Oh. Gavin McGinnis is like this really right-wing dude. He was in a punk band back in the day, and he started this, like, edgy magazine, which was, like, Vice Media. He was literally joking around and was like, oh, I always wanted to be in a gang. I'm going to start my own gang. And he, like, started the Proud Boys, and it was, like, this drinking club where all these guys would, like, get together and just, like, be guys and get hammered and hang out. And he was like, we need an initiation ritual. What are we going to do? I know we'll... uh We'll beat the shit out of somebody until uh, until they can name three breakfast cereals. And then they're in. Like, if you read into it, the whole premise of it is so hilarious because the whole thing is such a joke. Mm. And it just took on a life of its own and became this thing. But this Gavin McGinnis is actually fucking a hilarious dude if you listen to it. Yeah, but this stuff doesn't seem to make conservative ideals look good. No. It, like I said, it took on a life of its own. I mean, it almost the, seems like the left made up the Proud Boys to make the right look bad. I don't know about that. If you really dig into what the Proud Boys are, they're not anybody that you wouldn't get a drink with. Hmm. I mean, even just the name, it has like this negative connotation that's counterproductive a little bit. True. But yeah, they were at some rally anyway, and the Patriot Front was there yelling Nazi shit, and the Proud Boys went after them and grabbed up a half dozen of them and started beating the shit out of them in the street and like ripped all their ski masks off and they were like covering up their faces and they were like getting their faces on camera it was like i think i saw what you were talking about now that was a group that was dressed in black right yeah they were like in black shirts with black masks on and khaki pants that's patriot from and the proud boys like went after them and they were like get the fuck out of here you're just here to incite violence and they were like fuck you fuck you so mm. the Proud Boys is like a drinking and fighting club. So they just like grabbed them up and tossed them mm. around. Supposedly, both sides are right-wing organizations? Supposedly, but Patriot Front is a Fed operation. Oh. So the Patriot Front was the people in black? Yeah. Oh. They're like well-known okay. to be in conservative circles. They're like well-known to be a Fed operation. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, they kind of look that way. They look like feds. I mean, what the fuck? Like, if you're going to make, like, a fake group, you're going to dress them all uniformly? Yeah, and they, like, march through the street. It's foolish. Hmm. To be, like, these white nationalists. And I think the powers that be create something like Patriot Front so then they can say groups like Patriot Front and the Proud Boys are these right-wing white nationalist extremists, which is fucking hilarious because the leader of the Proud Boys is Cuban. Or Puerto Rican or something, and they have like a ton of black members. Nothing about them is white nationalist. Kind of like you. Right. I I'm more like Clayton Bigsby, but yeah. Whenever I see a video of such and such group did this, I'm like, I don't know if that's a plan or not. I, I It doesn't move the needle with me because I don't really trust any of that shit. Yeah. But speaking of being proud, I think a couple episodes ago, you said that conservatives were less proud they, they identified as being less proud to be americans yeah the whole the whole spiel but yeah conservatives as well but yeah. everybody in america is probably the lowest numbers of proud to be an american than has been historically yeah which is i get that i don't know i don't think we need to be proud of ourselves all the time in fact america's doing a lot of shitty things pride yeah pride is the deadliest of the seven deadly sins so mm -hmm. i don't think pride. we should be looking at pride as like an essential human right no. On either side, you know? But I think nationalism is important. It's more important to just be an American than it is to be proud of being an American. It's more important to act with your American ideals. Right, but I think in acting with your American ideals, your goal should be living in a country that you can be proud of. Well, good luck. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But nationalism is important. Without nationalism, you don't have a strong country. To some degree. Obviously, there's extreme versions of nationalism, but I think nationalism is important. I right. You should be proud of the country you live in. If you're not proud of the country you live in, fucking move. Where? Wherever you think is better. No, because those are not mutually exclusive states. That doesn't make sense. How does that not make sense? It's possible that there's nowhere to have pride in even living. There's problems everywhere. You don't need to have pride. Am I proud of the fact that we bully everybody else? We've got military bases everywhere and, and we've destroyed all of our ideals that we're so proud of on July 4th? No. no, but the ideals that we supposedly celebrate on July 4th, I am proud of. Right, but that's not our country. As right? a whole, not. So it's just, it's really semantics, really. Right, People have ideals that they strive for. Is our country doing that? No. That's because we have no morals and values left. But that's a that's a subject for another time. Yeah, well, that's a deep rabbit hole, right? It's the why, but there's a lot of just terrible things going on. Everybody's like, well, why don't you just move? It's like, well, because there's you many things besides pride. Moral, you can move to an area that more aligns with what you believe in. You can, but there's more that incentivizes somebody to live somewhere than being proud of their country. But if the money wasn't broken, you would you would be able to move. Well, if the money wasn't broken, I wouldn't want to move because all this other shit wouldn't be happening. That's not true, though, because even if the money wasn't broken, it's still possible to be in an area where you're surrounded by people who don't live by a moral standard that you think is right. Yeah, but I think in many ways and kind of what our podcast is about is if the money was fixed, then our standards would be fixed and we'd be able to live with people with similar values to us. I think that's a big 
theme of what we talk about. Yeah, I just think there's always going to be shitheads and you should try to separate yourself from the shitheads. Well, like, if the money no wasn't broken, you'd be able to do that. No matter how fixed the money became, I would never move to California. Well, it depends. California wouldn't be so shitty if the money wasn't broken. Who knows? I would never move to New York either. Right. Like, New York City is such a fucking cesspool. And it's always going to... Yeah, as long as you have big Democrat-run cities, they're always going to be cesspools. Even if the money is fixed, they're still going to be cesspools. Your belief system doesn't come from a broken monetary system. I think you and a lot of my other friends underestimate how much the money breaks things. I agree, but the guy that wants to fuck kids is going to want to fuck kids whether the money in his pocket is broken or not. Yeah, but a lot of... ah, Listen, I'm not defending that. But a lot of mental illness and terrible things and just broken people stem from broken money. Mm, Self-righteousness and feeling like you're owed. I think you're going to have more pedophiles in an environment that promotes pedophilia and i think yeah, broken I money think does a lot of things pedophilia to do has a lot to do with money it does though it doesn't i think it's more of a moral and a lack of a solid moral foundation than mm-hmm. anything else and that has zero to do with money because there were times in history with sound money where there were broken moral systems. Mm. I mean, there's broken people. Broken people and broken morals go together. Right, which all leads back to there's always going to be a need to locate yourself somewhere where your morals align more with the majority of the people that are around you. Hmm. Well, that's not happening right now in our democracy. No, because the moral system that's encouraged in this country makes it difficult for people who don't agree with that to surround themselves with other people who don't agree with that yeah i mean we're already at the point that protecting freedom is more important than protecting democracy because the majority is not having the same ideals yeah but it's not like you just pick up and move to mexico because that's true (laughs) not necessarily mexico but a different state yeah there's a lot of incentives that are you're seeing a lot of that right for the first time ever in american history the northeast is not the breadwinner in america the northeast has been the breadwinner in america forever since the inception of the country and for the first time in history that isn't so anymore the economic powerhouses are in the south now for the first time ever and that's because of all of the fucked up shit that happened in the last three years and people decided to move where their morals more aligned. All these people who had all this economic power turned around and moved somewhere where they were going to be more free. Mm-hmm. I think it's the first stone in an avalanche that's going to come. You're going to see this mass. You're already seeing it from California, right? Mm-hmm. This mass exodus from California. Sure. And you're going to see it more and more as they start doing insane things like the reparations shit they're doing they're trying to get passed in california oh yeah but there's just more incentive about where you locate than the ideals of people around you obviously like new york wouldn't be my first choice to like live if 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 everything was equal i wouldn't be living in new york right but there's a lot of things at play another factor that i think about is let's say i live in new york and it's shitty and i'm like well i should definitely try to move somewhere that i aligns with me better so 
there's no guarantee that when I move there, they won't change the rules. There seems to be like a lot of rug pulling going on. So it disincentivizes somebody to move when there's no guarantee that that fixes everything. I don't think the morals of the local government are as important as the morals of the population. Mm. If you find yourself in an area where 80% of the population agrees with you, and then all of a sudden somebody comes in and tries to change a rule to make it something that doesn't agree with the 80% of the population, one yeah. of two things is going to happen. Either it's not going to pass or people are just going to ignore it. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's my take. But anyway, on to other subjects. Where are we heading next? Well, we're going to go into communication and words. So if we strive for clear communication, then Bitcoin wins. Because objectively, Bitcoin wins. So we have to just communicate what's really going on. And I think that's why you see a lot of subsidized propaganda from all the media outlets trying to stop Bitcoin. Is that fair so far? Yeah. Phil Coin Icarus likes to use this concept of broken telephone to describe how signals lost when it's passed between entities. And in electronics, fidelity refers to the correspondence of output signals, the input signal. The late, great George Carlin, who was a inspiration of the show and he was a savant in understanding and analyzing the english language and the language is increasingly co-opted and weaponized against people that's something that you and i see a lot right oh yeah uh, much like fiat money is weaponized against people communication is really important and understanding what's fact versus fiction or opinion is important one essential fact is in economics price signal which has been completely distorted by fiat is important in just communicating information. The precise use of words is very important to battle the noise. And Bitcoiners need to communicate with each other effectively. So there's a lot of examples of Bitcoiners getting fooled by propaganda or dividing conquer strategies. I can think of a lot of them without going into them. So we end up having these stupid battles against each other using these vague terminologies. When we start fighting with each other, I think that kind of slows us down. So we need to make precise language and, and facts great again. In 1972, George Carlin blessed the world with his seven words you can never say on television. Somebody was awfully interested in these words. They kept referring to them. They called them bad words, dirty, filthy, foul, vile, vulgar, coarse, in poor taste, unseemly. Did you ever see that? Yes. Who better to carry George Carlin's legacy in advocating for the precise use of words and communication in today's sad dystopia than us two geniuses? <laughs> I like it. So that's why you and I have been talking about making this recurring weekly segment called Dirty Words. Dirty Words. Mm. And today's word is outrage, which is a noun. It's uh, an extremely strong reaction to anger, shock, or indignation. And for an example, her voice trembled with outrage. And similar words are fury, anger, rage, disapproval, wrath, shock. And it can be used as a verb as well. When I hear the word outrage, like you see a lot of headlines, this political idea or this, this uh, word sparked outrage, right? And every time somebody says outrage, I kind of roll my eyes. Like the fiat world's increasingly outrageous and social media amplifies outrageous things. And if you're outraged, like, so what? How does that move the needle? Yeah, we just saw it last week. Did you see the senator that said colored people instead of people of color? Yeah, exactly. And everybody went fucking ballistic. And there was, oh my God, he's 
he's this, he's that. And it was just the outrage was a way to distract from what he was trying to say. Right. It took his whole point and threw his point out the window because they could focus on instead words they didn't like. Yeah. Outrage is increasing and it's a negative emotion, right? Life in the fiat world and medical diseases are correlated with negative emotions. And a lot of times it's counterproductive just to be outraged. We're, we're kind of raising our kids in the outrage swamp. But what are we going to do about it? Uh, I'm not talking about you, but like all the bonus hells out there listening to this right now. I'm not saying to go blow shit up, but there's positive and negative ways to deal with outrage. And from a psychiatric perspective, there's negative and positive coping mechanisms. So I think in a lot of ways, Bitcoin fixes outrage. There was an example the other day on Twitter, it was Friday. A lot of people were outraged about the Disney CEO, Bob Iger. And the Disney writers are going on strike because they're not getting paid enough. And he's getting paid something like $30 million a year. But unsurprisingly, that's not what they were mad about. They were mad because he wasn't sympathetic to their plight. He said that it disturbed him that the writers were acting in their self-interest and everybody just lost their shit. <laughs> in that way, it was similar to the outrage when Jessica Hodler said the word insane after saying America was overweight. Like they weren't even mad about the statement that America was overweight. They were mad about not being sympathetic about it. I don't well, really no, feel- no, I don't I don't think they were outraged about not being sympathetic about it. I think they were outraged about not encouraging it. That's how far we've gone. What do you mean? It wasn't that she wasn't sympathetic that people are overweight. It's that she wasn't encouraging people to be overweight. I thought it was a word insane that triggered people. It was. But your interpretation of it is mistaken. Mm. Your interpretation is that the reason they were triggered by the word insane Mm. is because she wasn't being sympathetic that people were overweight. Yeah. That is a correct diagnosis five years ago. The way words change today and culture changes today, right? Minute by minute, day to day, is it's no longer enough to be sympathetic that somebody is overweight. Now you have to completely go beyond that into encouraging people that it's good to be overweight, that being fat is beautiful. It's a strong stance to decide to be fat. The trend is people are not getting outraged by things. They're getting outraged by negative feelings about things. Right. They're looking for the opposite, which is encouragement of the negative thing. Yeah, which is crazy, right? But I I feel for the writers, but let's face it, they're not exactly risking their lives in coal mines. And they didn't necessarily invest a lot of time in professional school. Yeah, there's a lot of seething cope going on there. They might only be worth the $70,000 a year they're getting paid. I don't really know. They're just pissed because they see the future coming with AI. Like AI is going to make them obsolete. And they're the same people that were yelling into a camera five years ago that people like me should learn to code. (laughs) Well, some of the stories are so bad right now that AI could pretty much just do this now, right? Yeah, and AI is only getting better and at a blistering pace but right six months ago you couldn't get an ai to generate an image of a person that had 10 fingers people just are not going to have as many choices for jobs in the near future and that's just a fact editor's note for fuck's sake lc turn your ringer off jesus no you're gonna have to actually produce value
Yeah, but it won't be value through talking to people. No, it'll have to be tangible value. Right. People don't want to hear that because they thought five, six years ago, there was a consensus on that side of society that we were very close to the death of blue-collar work. Right? That machines were going to replace what blue-collar people do. Mm -hmm. And they've been absolutely shook that what they thought was going to replace us is actually going to replace them a lot sooner than it replaces us. But there's also this notion of blue-collar people, not you, but I, I've seen this take where people who have, I guess, intellectual types of jobs, you're going to have to find something else and, and create value. And the truth is, even blue-collar work is largely getting replaced by technology. Like It doesn't take as many people to just do things. There's only so many jobs out there. So I think that that's a bad take where people think that jobs are just going to shift. No, there's going to be no jobs or there's going to be less jobs. So in this environment, when everybody needs jobs because nobody has any savings and there's only a quarter as many jobs out there, they're not going to just make up jobs so people can have jobs. Like that's not going to work. Yeah, but no. If somebody has a big machine to drill a hole, you don't need as many people to drill a hole. No. I watch it play out in real time. Mm -hmm. No. Just because something is newer doesn't mean it's better. Just because something is faster doesn't mean it's better. But there's a lot of examples of it taking less people to do something tangible. There's a lot of examples of that. Where you're going to see a shift in blue-collar work is mm -hmm. when people want something that isn't a mass-produced piece of shit. Mm -hmm. If you want something that's well-made, something that takes craftsmanship to create, that's where blue-collar work is going to shift towards. Life's a circle, right? So mm -hmm. we've gone from all blue-collar guys take pride in their work and they create these really amazing pieces of craftsmanship that take years and years of experience and you have to be a true master to make it, right? A uh, really obvious example would be like, going back 500 years and you find a blacksmith, a Japanese blacksmith that makes katanas, right? They folded that steel thousands of times and they created this literal work of art, but they were sought after because they were far superior to everything else. Right. But then you and I just had a take that we said machine-made knives are better. Now hold your horses. Uh-huh. Now we've gone over the last 500 years, we've arrived at this place where you have 10,000 people that can do, what's a good example of this? A good, uh... The only one that's banging around in my head right now is a piece of furniture. You can go to Ikea and buy a table. But if you buy a table from a woodworker who's very skilled at his craft, it's the only table you'll ever have to buy. Whereas the Ikea mass-produced piece of shit is good for a year. Okay, I think I can see where the disconnect is a little bit because I think what's happening is I'm coming at it from life in a fiat world and you're coming at it from life in a quality world, right? So in a fiat world, there's a reason everybody's buying Ikea right now. That reason's not getting better. I guess it goes back to something like this, right? Anybody can be a carpenter, but not anybody can be a good carpenter. So if you want something that is a notch above what everybody else can get, that is where blue collar work is trending now.
good example of it is there's a guy in my town. There's probably five contractors in my town that build houses, right? But there's one guy that builds houses in my town that takes four fucking years to build one house. But when he builds that house, it's absolutely perfect. That's a relatively rare individual. I mean, we've got a world full of fucking basket weavers out there. This is not going to correct itself. I think it does correct itself. I think it forces us into a situation where people are forced to actually become good at what they do and not just mediocre to collect a paycheck. Not as long as the fiat machine continues. I think the value of quality work goes up as AI starts to replace people who do the shitty work. When we coddle people that don't provide value to society, then quality can't go up. Correct. But the people that we're coddling currently that don't add real value to society are going to be replaced by the machines you were talking about. And all you're going to have left are the people that create high quality work. I think that Bitcoin fixes this because if people are allowed to accumulate capital and have savings, then they're going to be able to reward high quality work. And then there's going to be more people incentivized to do high quality work. But I I think in the current system, it doesn't work. Correct. And I think something like machines replacing your everyday average craftsman is going to force us or is going to fast track us going to somewhere where you have a system where incentives are fixed. But just going back to the Disney thing, like we're saying, the argument is, are these people worth more than 70,000 a year or not? And I think that in an unfree market, you don't really know what somebody's worth. It's really hard to answer that question because you don't have a price signal. And I think that workers have every right to go on strike, like God bless them, but they're playing a game of chicken. And there's other talented writers that might come and take their job. Or maybe, like you said, AI. Or maybe Disney will see they're losing their ass and everybody's unsubscribing from their shitty app because the quality of shows is even worse than it is right now. Yeah, but I think you're seeing a shift in that, right? I'm actually glad we're talking about this, right? And it circles back to what we talked about last week. You have these mass-produced pieces of shit when it comes to cinema that are spending hundreds of millions of dollars to make movies that are flops and then you have something like the sound of freedom that comes out and makes 180 million on an eight million dollar budget because it was people that cared about the project and people that wanted it to be the best it could possibly be yeah well hopefully there's going to be more quality people and people incentivized to provide quality goods and services I think that people look at this and they say, well, Disney is playing hardball. They're assholes. Or the workers are going on strike. They're assholes. And and I really think that it's all just fair game. I think it's much more nuanced than just one side or the other side is assholes. Well, yeah. I don't think either side's assholes. I mean, if you want to pay your workers less, cool. If you want to tell your boss to go fuck himself and you're not going to work, cool. And these are just demonstrations of power that are, I think, fair game. But there should be consequences to these things. And I think... In fiat world, you got these fiat subsidies that break markets. So big corporations and wealthy people are more subsidized. So they've got more leverage and more cushion to deal with these losses. So they're going to win that game of chicken more often, I think. Yeah, I agree. It's not amoral there's a game of chicken. It's just amoral that the game is rigged. Corporations might purposely lose if they feel like they have to get a PR win. But seeing as how the corporations own the media outlets, especially Disney... They don't even need to do that as often anymore. 
I think you're seeing a shift in society where people are really starting to realize that they vote with their money and that even though we live in a fiat world where incentives are broken, corporations, especially large ones, are starting to realize that they can't just do whatever they want without any repercussions. Take like the Bud Light incident, for example. Sure. Bud Light thought they were going to do whatever it is that they did and that they could just wait it out and they would bounce back. And they've literally lost hundreds of millions of dollars and are showing no signs of slowing the bleed. They almost have to rebrand at this point. Yeah. I mean, you've taken something that was the number one beer in America that's been replaced by Modelo as the number one beer in America. You know, I don't know the answer to this, but Anheuser-Busch is like this giant corporation, right? Well, it's AB InBev, but yeah. So they own all kinds of different brand name beers. Correct. The outrage is just at that one line of beer. So Correct, just... but it, it's still a show that people are learning that they can vote with their money. You're seeing the same thing with, again, with Sound of Freedom, right? Yeah. You had all this negative press around it and people said, no, we're going to vote with our money and we're going to go see what we want to see. And even mainstream media, damn mainstream media's best efforts to kill it before it got off the ground, it's doing great because people are voting with their money. All they can do is try to, at this point, right, What all they're willing to do at this point is try to manipulate you with words and ideas. And as long as people realize that all they're able to do at this point is try to manipulate you with words and ideas and they can't actually stop you from going to see it, then people are going to continue to vote with their money. The same reason you can buy a 30-pack of Bud Light for fucking $10 at Walmart right now. I'm with you. That makes sense. But... In this example, people don't even recognize that Anheuser-Busch has all these different lines of beer, and they're only canceling that one line, right? If we take a step back from that, there's like a handful of corporations that own everything. How do you absolutely? How do you vote with your money if there's only a handful of corporations and they're basically all on the same team, right? That the Bangkoks of the world. But I think it's a step in the right direction, and I think if we continue to step in that direction, people will start to realize that we need to do what we should have been doing all along, which is support small business and fuck the big corporations. Yeah. The outrage should be not directed at Bob Iger, the asshole, but it should be directed at a, a system that allows big corporations to play hardball on an uneven playing field. And Correct. Bitcoin fixes that because it gets rid of the Gantan effect and it gets rid of the subsidies. Yes. I think the cultural shift we are seeing will accelerate us towards... Bitcoin winning. Whereas everybody kind of gets this black pill look on it where they're like, oh, the world's so fucked. It's never going to happen. And I think the shift that you're starting to see is just the sign that it is going to happen. And it's going to happen a lot faster than people think it's going to happen. Yeah. In this case, I don't really have a horse in this race. Let's say we were mad. Are, are you going to not go to Harry Potter world? No, you love that place. You got engaged there. <laughs> right. Am, am I going to cancel my ESPN plus subscription? No, I'm a degenerate. I like watching people beat each other up for 30 grand, right? <laughs> I have to say, kind of on the same idea of the broken words and like the outrage, right? That was like, our word was outrage? It was. Okay. Did you see, yeah, I'm sure you did because you're a sports ball guy. Um, sports ball. <laughs> <laughs> did you see the Dana White interview where he was talking about the fight he has coming up between the black guy and the white guy from South Africa? 
Oh, well, I don't know about Dana White, but I saw the promos and the black guys going like way overboard racist, which is not cool. But right. it, it seems like it's OK, though. It seems like it's OK now. Hold on. So Dana White did a press conference about it. And a reporter asked him, like, what's your take on the racial tension with this fight? And... Oh, it's not racial tension. He's like dropping like N-bombs left and right when it should not be cool for him to say because it it's not cool for anybody else to say it. Exactly. You know what Dana White's response was? He slapped his wife. I don't give a fuck. This is the fight business. He's black. <laughs> like, what do you want me to say about it? I don't really. That's care a bad what... take, though, because it should not be okay because you're black. If it's not okay, it like, should be okay for everybody. All... It's a fucking word. Right. Well. Yes. Yeah. It, it shouldn't be okay if you're black, and if we're gonna take the stance that it's just a word, which I'm kind of with you, then fine. But no, yeah. the st- but the stance that Dana White took was. I actually don't think it's okay to use that word. As far as, I don't think it's okay. Mm. Let's say you're a public persona and and your business is you need to like sell yourself. Like if people want to use the word fine, but there's consequences that come with that. And in general, people should probably lose business if they do that. Okay. Anyway. (laughs) I don't mind his take on it though. The point that I'm trying to get at is his take was, it wasn't so much his take. It was what he said and how he said it. He said, what racism? What are you talking about? Who was being racist? And the guy kept going at him and trying to trigger Dana by talking about this. And he was like, I don't give a fuck. It's the fight business. It's always been this way. People are going to say whatever they want to say because they're hyping up a fight. And the last line that he said in his press conference was the part that got me. And he said, why? Are people making a big deal out of it? And the guy said, well, yeah. And he said, well, fucking of course they are. Who gives a shit? Right? And I think you're seeing more and more people take that perspective. People are so sick and tired of the outrage. Outrage over these little stupid things that take away from the big picture. Right? We have this big picture that's uncomfortable and nobody wants to talk about it. Or in this case, the fight, right, is the big picture and you're going to derail the whole idea of the fight over this stupid little fucking thing that doesn't matter people are tired of it people are tired of the semantics that come along with outrage i don't like the implications of like reverse racism though like i think that people should be treated equally and it's not cool for a minority to like go after white people in a racist way but but then society will cancel the white person the other way around like I think the biggest part is up until like five years ago, racism didn't exist except in a comedic fashion. And then all did. of a sudden, racism, no, racism did real? Not. no, it's not. No, it's not. No. It's real. I mean, it wasn't written in my life. And I don't, I don't think we should make as big a deal of it as, you know, we do, but it, it's real. You said yourself that it was real when you were a kid. And by the time you were grown in 2014, it was a non fucking thing in your life. And then all of a sudden, the media has taken this turn where they've pushed it, where it's become this big thing again. And of course, when you push it and make it a big thing again, first you have this reverse racism reaction to it, and that sparks a reaction of actual racism back the other way. And it just, it's just rekindling this thing that's been dead for 30 fucking years. Maybe for some more than others. I, I, you're right about what I said. For most. Yeah. For most. Yeah. I will be the first one to tell you, when I was doing foreclosures... I drove through a town in West Virginia, in the back fucking woods of West Virginia, where the general store in the middle of the town 
had a sign on the door that said no. You can bleep me out on that one. Right. And basically no blacks right on the door. So does it exist? Sure. But does it exist at the scale that they want to claim that it exists at? No. And by talking about it all the time and pushing it all the time, it makes it a thing in everyday life. It makes everybody assume that everything is fucking racist and everything somebody says and every move you make is racist, right? Like the senator that said colored people instead of people of color and literally in real time corrected himself because he's old and realized he fucked up. And yeah, they took that and made a big fucking deal out of it. Like, oh, he's a Klan member in his spare fucking time because... Look what he said. He's showing his true colors. It's semantics and outrage bullshit. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I'm with you. Basically, I'm leaning towards wanting to minimize racism. I think for somebody like me that wants to say, well, racism is not a big deal. I, I have to first say, well, I acknowledge that racism was a big deal at some point and we've been getting better and now it's not a big deal. And let's look at the facts of how, you know, it's applied now, which is what we're not doing. We're blowing it up right now. Yeah, I think if we don't make a big deal out of it, it's not a big deal. I think the media is a lot more powerful at taking something and turning it into a big deal than it's ever been. And then it becomes a big deal because the media says it's a big deal. Yeah, but speaking of racism, if we want to fix the Disney problem, <laughs> we should go buy Bitcoin instead of worrying about what Bob Iger's doing. Because if we want to starve the beast that creates the problem in the first place, then we want to make sure our kid has savings so they don't have to bend the knee to the giant corporations so they can eat. Correct. Or teach your kid to produce their own food. Come ungovernable, Frito. And part of that is Bitcoin. Yeah. That's Becoming fair. independent of the system is more valuable now than it has been in the last hundred years. Do you have a homesteading tip for us this week? Yeah. Start a homestead. <laughs> Pretty fucking deep, man. Thank you. No, grow a fucking plant. That's what I tell everybody. Oh, well, I don't have this and I can't do that. Even if you live in a studio apartment, you can grow a single tomato plant. Mm. Grow something. Learn how to take care of something and have it produce something that adds value to your life. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> do we have any <laughs> do we have any plebs of the underground this week? Yes, I believe we have two. We have one from our boy Barn Miner. He says, the first words I hear about penetration, which I, I believe we were talking about uh, an everyday carry knife. That was me. That was me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you were talking about your fucking titanium Chinese letter opener. And, Dude, the Reich uh, 1507 is badass. Yeah, of course it is, Rita. Oh, I actually brought mine with me today. See at the Covert Act? Oh, you don't just carry a lighter around? Look. Ooh. In Tiffany Blue. Uh -huh. See, this is the switch you were dogging on. So I was at a dinner last night with an engineer, and he was explaining to me how it actually works inside. And I guess the switch itself, when you apply pressure to the switch, it's actually loading the spring. And then once it reaches the top of the switch oh you're right your key could never do that and then you have to grab it and pull back and it loads the spring again in the opposite direction and sucks the knife back in 
That doesn't look dangerous at all. It's not. There's no way it's going to stab you in the nutsack. Don't be a bitch. I'm not making fun of it. I just don't want you to cut your balls off. Just you like just I don't want you to you. put a loaded pistol in your pocket. I don't know. These these things seem like reasonable concerns. What's wrong with putting a loaded pistol in your pocket? Better than not having one in your pocket. I don't know, man. Uh, we also had 9,500 sats from Bubba. And he said, leave me alone is the essence of life. Words of wisdom. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what we got for clubs from the underground this week. If individuals want to be left alone, then they need to find ways to conserve their power. They also need to find ways to provide all the things they need to live for themselves. They go together. You're just stealing my idea by saying they go together. But it's cool. We'll we'll, we'll let it go. No, 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 no. It's fine, really. It's fine. I'm agreeing with you, man. Typical Asian. (laughs) So agreeable. Stealing the like gonna bow next. (laughs) Did you see the uh the press release? Not 100% sure if it's completely accurate, but you saw Janet Yelling Yellen went to China. China, curious, like, what why is our economic excuser want to go to China? Did you see when she met Xi Jinping? No, did she she blow? She like did all those, she did like four super awkward bows in a row. And apparently the reason that she did that was because she consumed magic mushrooms at the dinner prior to meeting Xi Jinping. What? Yeah, she ate some fucking wild mushroom dish at a restaurant prior to meeting him, and apparently it has psychoactive properties. What, you don't think you're supposed to bow to the Chinese minister? She bowed like four times in a row, like half bows, super awkward, and then like went to shake his hand. She looked like a dude on mushrooms. Take it for somebody who's taking mushrooms, Frida. Well, you don't know, but in Asian culture, the more bowing you do, the more respectful it is. Fucking weird ass Asians. <laughs> so who do you think gargles Chinese balls more, Janet Yellen or LeBron James? I don't know anything about Le- LeBron James because he's a bitch. Spicy take. I fucking hate LeBron James. You just want to talk about Janet Yellen's bowing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. What were we talking about before that? Do Chinese people even bow? I don't know. You're Chinese. Okay. No, I'm... <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Honestly, I don't even know the answer to that. Um, Either do I. Chinese people bow? I don't know. Mm. You tell me. Unclear. Fuck? We'll agree to disagree on the Chinese bowing. Agree to disagree. So I think that brings us to our last segment thankfully called wrench defense wrench defense and you suggested we talk about iron sights versus optics such as red dots do you want to lead off yeah so every time we talk about wrench defense the context that we talk about wrench defense in is an everyday carry uh or something that you would need in a situation where you were going to get wrench attacked right But if we're talking about iron sights versus optics, I'm not talking about iron sights versus optics if you're going to the range and trying to score a certain shot at a certain amount of yards. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is being able to draw a sidearm and use it to defend yourself. Tactical situations. Correct. For me, it's iron sights over optics. I wanted a Holosun red dot in the worst way. 
and I spent far too much money on a Holosun Red Dot. I got super excited. It came in the mail and I like put it on my everyday carry and I took it to the range and it was a fucking hot steaming pile of shit. Not that there's anything specifically wrong with the optic, right? Like Holosun makes a really good optic. You just don't like it because it's Chinese. I thought the Trijacon. Oh no, that one's made in America, right? I bet most of it's not, but yeah. That's like the higher end. Holosun's like the lower end and the whatever the fuck it is is the higher end. Mm -hmm. My problem that I found while shooting it at the range is unless you're super practiced with that optic, that sidearm is an extension of yourself. I would find it very difficult to be able to draw it in a situation where I needed it and use it accurately. That being said, I don't see a need for an optic in a tactical situation where I would actually need to defend myself. And I'm going off of the words of the range officer that works at my local indoor range, actually. He's uh, an army vet. He shot competitively for 20 years. And I was kind of, you know, picking his brain the last time I was there and we were we were talking about shooting and I actually went up to him and I'm like, Hey, does it matter when I pass in my qualifications for the range? The bare minimum for a qualification for a concealed carry in my state is you have to score a 190 out of 300 out of a possible 300, right? Uh, they give you a target. That's like the size of a poster on a wall. You know, obviously the rings step out on the bullseye, their numerical value steps out as you get further outside of the bullseye. You get 30 shots, 30 minutes, and you have to score at least a 190. I qualified with a Holosun, and I qualified 208, I think, somewhere around there. And then the last time I went to the range, I shot iron sights, and I got a 280. So I went over to him, and I'm like, hey, does it matter what my score is? Because I just scored a 280. I'd like to swap them out if it matters, right, out of a possible 300. He said, no, it doesn't matter. They don't give a shit. As, as long as you break that 190 number, they don't care, right? It's a, it's a pass-fail deal. But then he went on to say to me, he's like, you know, I see a lot of people come in here, and it's 25-yard indoor range, and a lot of guys that are shooting pistols are pushing these targets out to 17, 20, 25 yards, and they're trying to get really proficient at 25 yards. And he's like, the reality of it is, if you're ever in a situation where you actually need to use that firearm, you're, you're talking five to seven yards. So why don't you focus on becoming a really proficient shot at seven to 10 yards, as opposed to pushing out a 25-yard target and trying to become proficient in something that, in reality, will probably never happen, right? The, the chances of you actually getting into a situation where you need to use that sidearm to defend yourself are slim already. And then on top of that, you want to add another dynamic that that target is then going to be 25 yards away, right? That being said, I don't see a need for an optic at five to seven yards. I don't see a need for an assist to hit something at five to seven yards. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, there's an argument you want to be as proficient, as accurate as you can, but yeah, I agree with you there. My friend goes to Six Hour Academy, and he says that all the instructors are saying that they're converting to red dots because they're faster to acquire and they're more accurate than iron sights. And we hung out with, uh, believe it or not, we hung out with a police officer over the weekend. 
in Connecticut. And he said the same thing. He swears that optics are better. And he just subscribed to the podcast. So my police friend out there, if you're listening, please understand that I might talk negatively about the police, but this is just a parody account. And I really love you all. Uh, <laughs> also, it wasn't my idea to force you to not go to the bathroom all the way to Connecticut. That was the driver's fault, not mine. But <laughs> I think that aiming devices such as red dots are worse than iron sights if you're not an expert in using them. I think that's similar to what you're saying. Um, or if you're not willing to take the time to really zero them. And I, I've zeroed them, but it's it's kind of a pain. And I'm not really sure I'm more accurate with them. And I told you I've got a laser on some of my pistols, but I haven't found them to really work very well either. The laser kind of looks cool, but I'm thinking about getting rid of them. So for me, I'm not an expert optics user, so I think I'm better with iron sights, but that might change as people become more experts. And one thing to consider is that optics increase the size profile of a firearm. So they make concealing them or holstering them more of a challenge. You have to buy specialized holsters. And one common problem with optics is, and I've seen this a lot, where, where somebody might have a, a mounting bracket that's incorrect, and now the optic is mounted too high, the red dot's mounted too high. It's possible to zero that, but basically when the optic's too high, it's angling down a little bit. So you might be zeroed at like 20 yards, but you're going to rapidly get off of zero when you go farther out when it's mounted incorrectly. So that's really important if you're going to use one. There's different brand names of red dots, like you said. So you got the Holosun. I've got a lot of Holosuns myself. And they're cool because they're relatively cheap and durable. They're relatively cheap, but they're like mid-range. They're not cheap, cheap. And they've got great battery technology. The batteries are supposed to last about five years. And all the ones that I have, they allow you to change the battery without removing the optics. So that's nice to keep zero. And there's other brands, like you mentioned, the Trigicon and EOTech. I think they're both American and they usually cost like twice as much. But I have to admit, when I look at them, the glass is actually clearer. So it may or may not be worth the money depending on what you need. Yeah, they also come with a green dot too. I think Trigicon sells a, a green dot as opposed to a red dot. And some people that's better for their eyes i find green easier to see i try to get green when i can but there's kind of a premium like usually it's like 50 dollars more to get the green dot version i have a buddy i sent you a picture yesterday i've got a buddy that's got a lot of really nice pistols and we went to the range yesterday we shot his dan wesson dwx and his six hour p226 legion and I think the DWX goes for like 2000 and the legion goes for like 1500 and they're both beautiful and i got to shoot them both yesterday and I told him that I thought both felt perfect and I couldn't decide which one I liked better, really. They're just both hammer-fired, full-size pistols, all steel. And even he doesn't know which one he likes better. He's glad he purchased them as a collector, but he couldn't really tell if one was better than the other one or not. I throw the CZ Shadow 2 in that group. But We're going to get that... together and go to the range someday and you're going to shoot my $280 PSA dagger and you're going to be like, why am I wasting money on $1,000 firearms? <laughs> Yeah, well, the, the DWX and six hour, I don't, I don't own those. those. Those are my friends. But I think that you just need to get like one premium pistol and then everything else is just gravy, really. But it's so hard to figure out what's premium because a price tag doesn't necessarily mean premium anymore because a lot of things that are marketed as premium are strictly marketed as premium because of the name they carry. Yeah. I was talking to that same range officer when I was at the gun shop the other day and he was telling me how Kimber is just becoming a piece of shit. And he's like, it's crazy because I've the, heard price that tag, the price tag isn't changing, but the quality of the firearm is just going to shit. 
that's why I think Palmetto's dagger shines because one of the guys that actually works at my local gun shop worked at Palmetto when they were developing the dagger. And he said, you wouldn't believe the punishment tests they put that gun through. I believe it, but that's a different class of guns, right? I'm talking about full-size stainless steel hammer-fired pistols, and the dagger's kind of a Glock clone, right? It's, it's going to be a polymer striker-fired gun. Correct. So I would say get one of each to the quality that you like. And again, I, I know I contradicted myself last week because I said that now that they're passing laws to limit it, maybe get more, you know, I'm just, but I'm just saying like get at least one of each class maybe to, to suit that need. The point that I was trying to make is you now have companies like Palmetto that are trying to put out their own firearms and they go above and beyond with quality and testing because they know they have to compete with brands that are strictly selling on the recognition of their name. Yeah. I've fired a Glock G19 alongside the G19 clone, the dagger that I have, and the dagger 100% outperforms the Glock. No questions asked. With these polymer pistols, if you can clone plastic well, there's no reason to really expect that they're definitely going to be different. That's fair. Anyway, you get back to optics and iron sights. Mm -hmm. I will say that I was firing my metal-framed Glock clone, my OZ9 yesterday, and it was pretty sweet. My yuppie Glock. <laughs> the other reason that I'm a staunch iron sights guy is I always try to think absolute worst possible case scenario being like post-apocalyptic type scenario right and i think you're much more likely to pick up a firearm that may not be yours and have it have iron sights than something that has an optic on it being proficient with iron sights makes you a much more well-rounded shooter than being proficient with an optic optics almost like starting out a game with a cheat code yeah, you have to be proficient with iron sights just as a baseline. Right. I, get... I think that there's a, there's a big mistake out there right now where when people get into shooting, they come right out of the gate and first thing they do is buy an optic and strap it to a gun. And then they want to become proficient with that optic. And I think you need to learn to walk before you learn to run. And I think iron sights will always be king when it comes to a sidearm. I mean, unless you're talking about something with uh, a Smith & Wesson 500 with a 10-inch barrel with, a, you know, a scope on top of it that's meant for hunting. Now you're in a whole nother realm. But if you're talking about something that's a comfortable, concealable carry, I don't think anything beats iron sights. Like you said, for the ability to draw it and not have to worry about snags, the ability to put it somewhere, you know, there, there's also the very real possibility that in carrying a sidearm that has an optic on it all the time, that that optic becomes unzeroed simply from carrying it, which is, I think, is far less likely with iron sights. I, I don't know if you've ever tried to move iron sights, but fuck me. Yeah. Even if your iron sights are slightly off a of zero, I think you kind of like just learn to shoot repetitively with that and you kind of know where you need to be aiming a little bit yeah i was actually watching a video of the gentleman we were talking about two weeks ago 
the guy that invented the AR-15. Um, I watched a whole video with him talking about George the... Armelet. No. Uh <laughs> Eugene Stoner discussing the M16A1 sites versus the M16A2 sites. And basically in the video he talks about how when they came out with the two, when he presented the one to the military, the panel of people that he was presenting the one to were people who had combat experience. When they approved the two, it was people who were proficient in competition shooting, right? He said the reason that they told him that they didn't want an easily adjustable sight was because in a combat situation, nervous hands fidget with things. And the last thing you want to do in a combat situation is adjust the sight. Because like you said, even though it might be off of zero, you learn where that gun shoots and you just learn to adjust to where the gun shoots. When you have something that's easily adjustable, like an optic, right? Most red dot optics that I've seen are a small dial or a button to make adjustments on the zero. It'd be very easy to hit something like that just in carrying an everyday action. Yeah. Whereas iron sights, you literally need a specific tool to move iron sights. We should have a site, when he was talking about the M16, we should have a site that is relatively easy to adjust if you have some time to adjust it, but not so easy to adjust that you can adjust it on the fly. I think another mistake people with red dots do sometimes is to put a red dot on a pistol mount that doesn't allow for the back iron sight. And you really want to make sure that you can have ideally suppressor height sights so you can co-witness the iron sights as a backup. Yeah, if... co-witness is key. And that helps you not only zero it in the first place, but it serves as a backup and, and just kind of, I think, improves accuracy. Absolutely. That's my wrench defense for the week. That was a good one, LC. Well... I'm plumb out of new thoughts right now. Is there anything you want to add? Is that T-H-O-T-S? Thoughts. <laughs> plumb out of thoughts. No, I, I think guess. that's all I got for this week. I think that was a good encompassment. I mean, besides your trash take on Snatch. But besides that, yeah, I think it was good. All right. Well, then I guess everybody listening can go fuck themselves. And I'm going to peace out. Adios, amigo. It was good. Catch you yep. same time, same place next week. All right. Thanks, man. Take care. Peace. Hello, Elsie, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Even though words can be deceiving. Our voice is undeniably pleasing And this podcast that is streaming to your brain Just like cocaine Come and hear why Bitcoin fixes this On Bitcoin Twitter you walked alone Wasted hours staring at your phone
We are not certified fiat system financial experts. Our financial opinions are our own and should not in any way be construed to be financial advice. Do your own research. Also, while we believe in free speech, we do recognize that we do not live in a free speech society. Therefore, for all intents and purposes, please consider our views to be fictional satire with the sole intention of facilitating broad discussion that is necessary to generate new understandings in hopes of uniting people under common rule sets rather than the current trend of dividing people by utilizing different rule sets for different people. Listener discretion is advised.